Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing privileges of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes of focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages to find out more about the incredible things God is doing through our church family. It's official. We are entering the Lenten journey of Jesus' race to the cross. So Lent kicked off this past Wednesday on Ash Wednesday, also happened to be Valentine's Day. And we talked about in that midweek service how Jesus leads us to give up our fear. And we looked at that woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8 and the way that Jesus loves her. And it's by his love and motivated by his love that we can leave a life of sin. It's something only God's grace can inspire us and motivate us and empower us to do. Well, building on that, this week in the podcast, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 7. And as we look at the race that Jesus is on here, it shows us how important proper form is. So if you think about a runner in the race, again, keeping this metaphor in front of us, proper form makes all the difference in the race. How your feet hit the ground, the way your toes push off, the rotation of your legs, the pumping of your arms, position of your chest, the focus of your eyes even, it all matters. And so runners, they practice proper form and technique for a purpose, but not just an external one. It's to ensure that the whole body is in sync, including their lungs and heart. And it all contributes to a successful race. Now, Jesus, this week, is going to remind us that when it comes to our spiritual race, proper form in our hearts leads to proper worship in our lives and proper praise on our lips. We're going to be looking at how every single person, human nature, we know that there's something dirty about us. We know that to follow Jesus and to live that life is something we are incapable of doing. When you really look deep down, you cannot deny that there's something deeply flawed about us. We're going to see today how Jesus, he deep cleans us, something only he can do by shedding his blood to make us his own. I cannot wait to unpack this really, really neat chapter of the Bible, Mark chapter 7. Here's our reading for this week. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Jews, and the, or the Pharisees, and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus, he replied, Isaiah was right. When he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Now again, Jesus called the crowd in and said, listen to me, everyone, understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. 
All these evils come from inside and defile a person. These are the words of our Savior Jesus. Imagine you've decided to go to the heart of a major city. You're in the downtown area, so for me in West Palm Beach, there's this area called the Square. Okay, so imagine you're there on a Friday night, whatever that big city is. You're checking out that huge, heavily foot-trafficked area, and all of a sudden, you hear a faint noise above all the people and traffic. A baby crying. And you start to scan the area, and you find that baby lying in the middle of that busy street with no one helping. And there's no crosswalk nearby, and you see a police officer coming down the sidewalk. Now, you know jaywalking is a crime, yet how can you not give it your all to save that baby's life? So here's the question. Would you obey the jaywalking law, or would you break that law to save the baby? And maybe at this point you're thinking, Pastor Johnny, what kind of a question is that? <laughs> is that even a choice? Obviously, you know what you would do. You would go after that baby, no doubt. Obviously, the life of that child is far more important than a jaywalking law. And yet, I challenge both you and myself this week, in our lives, do we forget that obvious answer? Do we create and follow our own laws for how life should go, or do we follow God's law? In our culture, we tend to have this idea that we are inherently good, inherently clean. But the more that you look within yourself, the more, as our culture tells us to do, to find out who we are, the more dirt you find. And so do we end up judging how good we are based on our standards or God's standards? Do our hearts become dirtied and clouded as we forget God's word for our daily life? And so this is the big question that we're going to be looking at today. Is your heart clean? Now again, our culture would say that everybody starts off on a good footing, or at the very least, morally neutral, okay? So that as you go through life, it's the outside influences, the outside environment, that is what makes you dirty, if you will. That's what defiles you. That's what corrupts you. It's something from the outside coming in, which is why, especially in American culture, this whole idea of judging, it's a very serious charge. It's almost become a dirty word. It's pretty much become a battle cry. In fact, if you look on social media and other places, you can't judge me. The reason being, it's all part of our cultural comparison syndrome. Because as much as we like to think that people are inwardly good, and you can create or at least discover your identity, the problem is, the more people look within, the more dirt they find. And so whether it's social media or in person, we're constantly judging and feeling judged because we know we can't be perfect. We can't be clean on our own. But if we compare ourselves to others, we look a little bit more pristine. And so we nitpick and we try to build up our ego. And that's why we get offended so easily. But let's unpack that a little bit. Have you ever thought about why we react so strongly when we feel judged? Well, Peter Dolly, in his biography of the modernist writer Virginia Woolf, he gives the reason for this in an eye-popping way. In fact, it's the only quote from the book I actually remember. He said this, The self-righteous scream judgments against others to hide the noise of skeletons dancing in their own closets. Be honest with yourself. Are your skeletons dancing? 
that unnerving feeling that if people knew your dirt, they'd look at you so much differently. So Jesus has something to say to you this week. Now, when we run to Jesus here in Mark chapter 7, he really didn't have a second to breathe as his race to the cross continued. So we're hitting rewind from last week, Mount of Transfiguration. We're going back two years. Jesus had been traveling throughout Galilee, so that northern part of modern-day Israel, with hands and fingers reaching out, hoping just to touch him. He had healed countless people, fed 5,000-plus, walked on water. And this is where we run into our rescuer, Jesus, in the lush, hilly, Galilean countryside. And it seems like he finally has at least a little bit of a break to catch some food with his disciples, have some lunch with them, but it's a short-lived one. And as they're digging into their food, a group of Pharisees and teachers of the law from Jerusalem approach with one accusation on their mind. Now, these guys must have overheard the cries of joy and the whispers of the people, whether it was an I was healed cry or a, is he a prophet whisper. It further stoked the flames of jealousy in their hearts. I mean, just look at the first thing they notice. Mark writes, they're nitpicking. The Pharisees saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Now, out of all the things they could notice, this is what catches their eye. They are looking for any little bit of dirt that they can put on Jesus. Because for the Pharisees and the Jews, this was a serious breach in etiquette. As Mark explains, the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing. So it's not just washing your hands. But it seemed to be even more than that. We don't know exactly what this ceremony was. It could have been washing your arms up to your elbows. It could have been holding out your fist while water was being poured over it. Either way, there is one glaring problem with it entirely. This is not a law from God's word. And Mark here even lists more of these, these cleaning traditions, supposedly passed down orally from Moses himself on Mount Sinai, the tradition of the elders. And the Pharisees' hearts begin to reveal themselves to be dirtier and dirtier, judging and feeling judged. Yes, it's true, they were still focused on human-made traditions, not God's word. But think about the motivation behind that. The Pharisees knew, unlike many in our culture want to admit, there's something dirty about them. However, they didn't understand how that dirt can be removed. How that stain can be bleached. It's only through the blood of Jesus, right? But in all this, what are they doing? Well, they're trying, again, to build up their brand. They're trying to clean themselves. And that all comes into the judgment thing. And so they're trying to catch Jesus in an act of sin, almost to feel one-upped, or to one-up him, more, more likely. And so think about this. This group of Pharisees, they walk 75 miles from Jerusalem to this spot with one goal in their head, to trip Jesus up, soil his reputation, and finally be rid of this teacher from Nazareth. And it's with these sinister intentions in their heart, they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Clearly a veiled attack at Jesus. And he, he catches on. Obviously, he's the son of God, right? Look at his answer. He says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. The Pharisees knew that sin had dirtied their hearts. But instead of turning to the Lord, turning to his forgiveness, turning to him for that cleaning, that restoration, instead... They turn to a dirty life of living for themselves and trying to build up their own personal brand instead of turning to the Lord. 
Now we hear from Matthew's version of this same encounter that the disciples, they approached Jesus after and they told him, the Pharisees are really offended by what you just said. And you just imagine what was going on in their heads. Right? How dare this backcountry teacher rebuke us? How dare he? Does he not know who we are? Look at how we live. How could he say, have the audacity to say that we are the hypocrites? But Jesus' description of them was spot on. Now, the Greek actor, that's what the word hypocrite comes from, is an actor. Uh, the Pharisees' muddied hearts and lives are behind a mask, right? Greek actors have different masks they would switch through. It was a mask of cleanliness and purity. But in reality, they were dirty. Why? Because they were using the judgment of others, the comparison game, trying to build themselves up, basing their life on their standards and not God's. Now, be honest with yourself. Have you and I been Pharisees lately, too? Is your heart clean? See, if if you and I were in a mosque right now, worship would be a lot different. You have to set your prayer mat down a certain way, dress a specific way, pray a certain prayer, face a certain direction. For what purpose? Well, Islam would say that's how you can please Allah. Now, is this what Jesus asks of us? Does he say, follow this list of rules, and if you do it enough, I might love you? No. No, no, no. But do we live like that sometimes? And we see that dirt that's within us, and we think to ourselves, I can wash that away. I can do enough to try to make up for what I've done. I can bleach that out. And I share that because there's been many moments in my life when my sin-filled heart prods me. Oh, Johnny, you read your Bible. You have devotions. You come to church. Look how dedicated you are. How can God not love you? And maybe you've had similar thoughts cross your mind. It's especially apparent when you see them, quote-unquote. When you see that homeless man on the street corner, the woman with the rainbow, or the woman with rainbow-colored hair, whom you know needs Jesus just as deeply as you do, but you think to yourself, I don't want other people to see me associating with them. I want to be seen as a pristine Christian. You see how we we know our dirt, and yet we think, oh, our dirt's a little bit better than their dirt. <laughs> as silly as that sounds, but isn't that true? We're so focused on self. See, when you and I abandon God's word as these Pharisees did and grab hold of human standards for living, our hearts become blacker than mold. We take the focus away from living as God would want us to, but rather living like we want to. And again, it's this whole idea that, and our culture is very much into this, that what I think, that is, there's, it's something more pure. And so it's outside things that corrupt me on the inside, but that's not what Jesus says. Look at this. He says, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Now, how does this, what does this look like in our lives? We're not being corrupted by our environment. We're being corrupted by the sinful nature. And how do we see this? Well, maybe you've been in church before, and a new person comes, and they, may, they might dress differently than you. They might look differently than you. And instead of being excited to talk to them about Jesus and to welcome them, maybe you kind of shuffle in and just try to avoid them. And maybe as you're going through your life and the different people that God has placed right in front of you to share his love with, you think to yourself, oh, I'm so busy. I have so much to do. Forgetting the Christian life is all about souls and not efficiency. The reality is, the sinful nature, it's corrupted, right? I mean, look what Jesus says. This is what comes out of that sinful heart. Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. 
So that picture behind evil eye or the of envy here, it's like this evil eye kind of captures this whole list. Because of that dirty heart, dirty thoughts come. Dirty thoughts become dirty eyes looking to cut down and judge. Then we remember God's righteous eyes. No matter how great of an actor we are, we can't hide our guilt. We can't hide our, hide our sin, our dirt from God. Not even close. We can't be self-righteous. So what can we do? How can our dirty beyond cleaning hearts become clean? Well, notice where Jesus turns to lovingly guide the Pharisees, the crowd, the disciples, you and me. What does he turn to? Scripture. Not human traditions, not logic, not philosophy. Scripture. Yes, it's true. Scripture tells us we have dirty hearts and dirty lives of sin. But you know what else it tells us? Believers have been made white, washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. That Jesus deep cleans our hearts. That's what this whole thing called Lent is about. His blood from that cross outside the city is the only perfect cleaning solution to our hearts of sin. And he lovingly confronts us in our sin and then he cleans us and he, he scrubs away all those sins. There's not a single one that can stick to you. Not you, dear Christian. He wants you. Jesus wants you to know how his love purifies you completely. See, by faith in him, you receive this amazing cleaning that you are no longer someone with a dirty heart leading to a dirty life. You have a Jesus-cleaned heart, which leads to a joyful life. It's the word of God that purifies, not traditions, not human-made laws. It's grasping the Bible and just gripping it, holding fast to the promise of the gospel, the promise of the good news, promise of salvation, that Jesus scrubs away our guilt, our shame, our sin. I like to think of it this way. Imagine sitting in an interrogation room with Jesus and on the desk are pictures of the worst sins you've ever done. And as you look down and you see all this stack of papers, all the evidence against you, all of a sudden Jesus throws it off the desk. If I not only that, imagine he has a little like campfire going on in the corner of the room and incinerates it all. And Jesus smiles at you and says, I don't see any evidence against you, do you? You're clean. You're free. It's one thing that by grace God does is in those moments he leads us in our imagination to see Jesus in that moment. That moment when we feel like maybe we are dirtied beyond cleaning and he comes in and says, no, remember my blood shed for you. Remember your baptism. That the gospel working through that to wash away your sins. It gives you this, this smile because you're not dirty and you're not disregarded. You are loved. <laughs> because God's given you this new heart of faith, this clean heart, this free heart, it alters how you live. What comes out of such a heart? Well, Paul talks about this in Galatians, right? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How, how do we receive that clean life? It's by grace. That's how we truly live. Because with hearts made clean by the Lamb of God, Jesus, the law is no longer burdensome to us. It's a natural reaction. It's the fruit of faith that this new heart within the new person, who you truly are, your identity, wants nothing more than to follow God's word step for step. We will stumble and fall if we rely on our standards for what being a good Christian, quote-unquote, is all about. But when we focus on the object of our faith, Jesus himself, who has deep cleaned your heart, you and I can live beyond the judgment of this world. And so we parent our kids to love Jesus most. Spending time in his word. Even while we watch other parents sign their kids up for everything else under the sun. 
We're willing to set aside societal standards for what parenting should be and instead cling to God's standards to prepare them, not just for this life, but for timelessness, right? For eternity. In the same way, we walk into the grocery store with a joyful expectation that God, maybe will have one of those, quote-unquote, those people, right, approach us and we get to share his love with them. Not constantly think about efficiency and getting things done and getting from one thing to the next, but instead, all right, Lord, take my hand and lead me. That's the clean life. Yes, we look into our selfie cams and we don't frown at the face looking back. But we remember that Jesus has taken away our shame, our embarrassment, our guilt, our dirt. We can smile because he knows he smiles at us. And as a dear member of our church family here at Divine Savior once said to me, it's, it's beautiful. I could care less who judges me for my faith. I know how Jesus views me. And that right there is freedom. It's not about what he says about you as far as a, that person in your life or what she says about you or what the world says about you. It's about how Jesus views you. And Jesus says you've been made clean. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been purified by his blood. That's freedom. And that is the life we have in Jesus. Amen. Again, I cannot stress how much of a blessing it is to share this good news of Jesus with you. My prayer for you this week and always is that you live knowing that you've been washed. And because of that fact that you stand clean, forgiven before God, it gives us this joy to keep his mind and his thoughts and his ways in front of us all the time. As he continues to mold us, continues to wash away, well, he has washed away our sin, but to remake us. This life of sanctification, to walk with him until that day, we are fully glorified in him and at home. So God's richest blessings as you live for him now and always.